The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Windy City Gridiron Radio. With you, as always, is your host, Robert Siglinski. And today... In the next part of our uh, Bears 2018 opponent preview series, we're going to talk Dolphins and Bears, who meet in week six of the 2018 season in October. Uh, I think it's kind of turned into Miami South at this, or rather Chicago South at this point, given all the acquisitions that the Dolphins have made that were former Bears. Uh, And we're talking to Kevin Nogle of SB Nation's The Finsider to break everything down. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Kevin, I, I just kind of alluded to it there. Uh, Jay Cutler is out after one season in South. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Tannehill is back in. He, so I, I, I'd venture to say that that's probably the story or the most important part of Miami's offseason, correct? How? Yeah, it should be. It should how, be. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying uh, it's not the storyline that the national media likes to lo- likes to lead with. Because they're running with this, oh, there's been a, I don't know, uh, evacuation of the team with JHI, uh, Jarvis Landry, and Dom Kitsu, Mike Pouncey, all these guys leaving. But yeah, I think that really when the season is done, I think the real story is going to be Ryan Tannehill being that team's quarterback again. I was going to ask. How is his recovery coming along? Is it reasonable to see him starting week one? I mean, how how much how many more hurdles does he have? Because I, I think he tore his ACL in what December of twenty sixteen, right? Right. He initially tore it in twenty sixteen. It was a partial tear. Uh, the doctors and everybody said it doesn't need surgery; it just needs rehab. And then when we got to training camp last year, um, we we're probably a week into training camp and he was running down the sidelines untouched and you saw him suddenly hop and then just collapse and it tore then. So he had the surgery first of August, somewhere right around there. Never good to have a non-contact knee injury. That's always, that's probably worse than actually getting hit there. Um, What would you say, are probably reasonable expectations for him. Then I mean, this is gonna, it's been a while since he's been actually played in a competitive game, and the Dolphins went out and replaced him at least for a season with a guy that was supposedly capable. Um, what what are you what are you thinking is a good year for him in twenty eighteen for Tannehill? I think we should see him. I I think they'll probably play him sparingly early in the preseason. You'll see him get plenty of time in that week three game. Uh, but I think that they're going to protect him a little bit in the preseason. So I wouldn't be surprised if first part of the year, first game or two, he's a little rusty. But I think that he's going to absolutely be able to jump back into being the quarterback he was. Uh, we saw a lot of growth from him under Adam Gase in 2016, that first season. Uh, a p- Part of that was also... I think that um, I think that Tannehill grasped the playbook and what Gase was trying to do, but between Tannehill and the receivers, there was still a little bit of a knowledge gap or so- something along those lines mm-hmm. that 
Tannehill would be trying to push to do something, and the receivers may just not have known exactly what he was looking for yet. So I think that now going into what is essentially their third year together, it'll be Tannehill's second on the seat on the field. But Tannehill was in every meeting. He was at every game. He was on the sideline. He was listening to the calls. He was talking to Adam Gase. He was making suggestions on plays that he thought would work. So he was involved. He saw it all. He got the mental side of it. He just didn't get the on-field reps. So I think we'll see him have to shake off some rust, but I think he's going to be full go from week one on. Hill later, but Kevin, what was it like to live with Jay Cutler for a season, especially when he kind of, I guess, didn't live up to expectations? <laughs> um, yeah, it was – it, it was trying to make the best of a bad situation. Anytime you lose your starting quarterback at the start of training camp, your team is going to struggle. And yeah. I think that it came down to it was either going to be Colin Kaepernick or Jay Cutler. Right. And Jay Cutler, knowing Adam Gase, gave him the advantage. So I think that there were still expectations there that he's going to be able to come in and grasp this system quickly. He already showed that he works well with Gase. Let's go. And at the end of the day, it just the first few games, he looked like a guy that could go out there and be the Jay Cutler we saw in 2015. Mm-hmm. And then it just the wheels came off and he got injured and they had to put Matt Moore in. And then Matt Moore got injured and Jay Cutler went back in. And then Jay Cutler got injured and Matt Moore went back in. And it just became this mess. And that not not putting it all on Jay, definitely. Because yeah. you don't you, you don't often see a team that loses its bye week and has to play sixteen straight games. You don't see a team that has their offensive line coach snorting a white powdery substance off his desk since it was never confirmed exactly what that was. Um, you don't you don't have a team that has their starting middle linebacker get lost in preseason. The guy that moves over to replace him then goes AWOL for the first game. So there's just so much that happened last year that was just crazy. But yeah, Jay Cutler definitely reverted back to the player that frustrates you because you know he has the talent and it just for some reason doesn't come together. Yeah, I'm I'm more than familiar with that player, Kevin. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine why. Yeah, I can't imagine why. Um, so that, that's a good lead-in into the next question. Um, I'm going to guess your answer is no, but I, w- I want to hear it. It's taken a quarterback in this year's draft, maybe even with their first round pick in your mind. I, I am, I'm a guy that I'm okay with you take a quarterback every year in uh-huh. three, four, five, six, somewhere in there. Um, I don't think that they should have taken a quarterback in the first round. I know there was all kinds of talk about it. And I think that, the Dolphins did that on purpose. I think they made sure that it got leaked out that Miami was looking at quarterbacks because they wanted teams to trade up in front of them so that one of those defensive players would fall back. And I think the draft played out exactly how the Dolphins wanted. I don't think that they were targeting Minka. I think they were actually looking at Roquan Smith because they thought Minka Fitzpatrick would already be gone. Right. But when he fell all the way to them, I don't. I think at that point they, it was just an automatic put, pick up the phone and make the call. So um, I think that and, – and we saw this week it came out in the papers that uh, every time the Dolphins would meet with a quarterback or that news was coming out that, oh, they liked a quarterback at the uh, scouting combine or whatever, before any of that happened, Adam Gase would call Ryan Tannehill and tell him, hey, look, this is going to come out. You are still our quarterback. We just want you to know from us, not seeing it on Twitter or not seeing it in the news, you're still our quarterback. We're just talking to these guys. That's a pretty elaborate smokescreen there. Yeah, I think that I think they did a really, really well planned out, well thought through smokescreen to make sure that and, and I say that with the caveat that if Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield had magically fallen to number 11 that they would have made that decision. I think that they probably, and Baker was probably the guy they really would have pulled the trigger on no matter what. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they really, all the talk of trading up to number two or to number six or you guys at number eight, 
I don't think that was ever a realistic option for the team. I think they were just trying to get information out there to try to get other teams in front of them and get one of those defensive players. Yeah, just more of a uh, the top. If, if one of the top quarterbacks were there, then you send not an opportunity you can pass on. Otherwise, you're going to upgrade your roster elsewhere. It makes sense, to right? Me. Yep. Um, this is something that I've seen. I guess I mean Twitter. It's not always the most reliable source, of course, and, and neither is football. The football media, um, especially in the off season. But I've seen the Dolphins plan be oft criticized in the past few months because um as if they don't really have one i i, I think that's a really nice that's the nicest way i can put it right um, trading for someone like robert quinn getting an abundance of slot receivers um is do you agree with that sentiment do you think or or is are, are they stuck in purgatory uh what's the deal here kevin i think going into his third year and this is the normal time for most coaches, but going into his third year, Adam Gase wants the roster that he wants. He wants his team on the field now. And I think that's what we saw. And a lot of the national talk about the Dolphins focuses on all those players that they lost. It's all about them. And then they point out that, oh, and then they went and got older by getting Frank Gore. Somehow adding Frank Gore makes the Dolphins bad. And it's really weird. Um, I think they do have a plan. I think they are trying to get younger. I think that you do add Frank Gore, but you also have Kenyon Drake and the drafted Kalen Vallage who make you a young running back core. Mm -hmm. You have Danny Amendola come in there, sure, but Albert Wilson is a young guy. The Most of the Dolphins receivers are second, third-year guys, so they're a young group. So Danny Amendola comes in there and gives you that veteran presence. Um, the offensive line is young. You have young tackles. So what did they do? They went and got a guy like Josh Sitton to come in there and go, okay, I'm the veteran guard. I will lock down this left side with you, Laramie Tunsil. Um, the, right. I, I think that they really wanted to keep Mike Pouncey, but when the trade for Daniel Kilgore became a possibility and the 49ers made that phone call, the Dolphins did not expect to make that trade. But when he became an option, they went, well, let's get him because that gets us a guy who – can be a starting center, and we know the injury history of Mike Pouncey. When Mike Pouncey said, no, he won't take a pay cut, he wants to be released, that's when the Dolphins made that release. So I don't think that was the same thing of we have to move on from JHI or Jarvis Landry or the giant contract of Indomitian Sue. I think that was just a circumstances fell in their favor of we can get a guy that can start at center because Mike Pouncey is not the Pro Bowl Mike Pouncey anymore. He is a solid starter but his contract was way more than what a solid starter should be getting. Exactly. Um, I was going to say, if I said to you and you had a, and you had a gun to your head, um, what would you say is the, is the year that the dolphins are finally, if, if say everything works out with Ryan Tannehill and the plan that they do have, that you just laid out with the younger receivers with Pouncey and everybody else in company, that the Dolphins are a real contender again, if at all. Um, I think this year is probably pushing for a wild card again. I think that if they hadn't lost Tannehill last year, they'd be well on their way to trying to challenge the Patriots. But I think that you basically are resetting now. So I think this year is probably – Pushing for that wild card, whether or not they make it, I don't know. I have them probably eight and eight, nine and seven, somewhere around there. Um, just because I think Ryan Tannehill is two to three wins better than Jay Cutler. So mm -hmm. that gets you to about nine and seven. Um, they could make a run and surprise some teams and make it to double digits and make be the locked in wild card, but I think probably nine and seven and pushing for wild card this year. So that would put them probably maybe about the same in 2019 and then probably around 2020, I think is where you're probably, and, and uh, there's a lot of talk on Twitter and stuff about how sad it is that the dolphins are just waiting for Tom Brady to retire. But huh. at the end of the day, we had Dan Marino for 17 years. There were teams that were just waiting for Dan Marino to retire also. Yeah. So, it, it you when you have that generational starting quarterback, yeah, you end up with a 
we're waiting for him to retire type of situation. Um, I think they can challenge in a couple years. Uh, if Brady retires, it might be sooner. But, yeah, I'd probably say another two years probably. Hey, Kevin, again, I can relate. I've, I've, the, the team I cover has been in a division with two straight off. <laughs> so I've been waiting for – I'm a younger person, but, 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 but Bears, the Bears fans and those who cover the Bears have been waiting for literally a quarter century. So, I, again, I can perfectly relate. Um, <laughs> except we've never had – <laughs> The only difference is we've never had the quarterback on the other side. We've never had the seventeen-year <laughs> guy. Um, finally, before we start, we talk draft review. We talk agency review a little more in depth there. Um, so we you mentioned we mentioned earlier this is the third year for Adam Gase, uh, make or break type of year. He's trying to kind of really set himself apart after for um has he lived up to your expectations thus far are you pleased are you getting are the dolphins getting what you think gase and if not where should they improve or where would you like to see them improve i think they are in terms of how he can build ryan Tannehill. we saw it in 2016 we saw Tannehill ending the year with his uh, career. I mean, granted, it was three games short, but mm-hmm. we saw him ending with career highs in completions, in uh, a completion percentage, in yards per attempt, and quarterback rating. So we, we we saw that growth starting, and that's what Adam Gase is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a quarterback guru. Um, so you you did start to see that. I think that this year, I think he learned a lot about himself last year. I think he realized that he needs to be a head coach, not a offensive coordinator who has the title of head coach. So I think you saw a lot of changes on the coaching staff in order to bring in guys that are more established in that type of role, whatever position they're filling, so that it frees him up a little bit. That said, Adam Gase is still going to be the play caller on game day for the offense. Um, he still focuses on the offense during practices and lets the defense do what the defense needs to do. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he 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 is learning about himself. Um, the good thing is Stephen Ross has proven to be an owner that allows a coach time to figure it out. And it hasn't worked with Tony Sperano and it hasn't worked with Joe Philbin. But I think that Adam Gase gives him the hope that, yeah, even if this year doesn't gel as we think, and even if it is a six-win season like Las Vegas seems to think it'll be, Adam Gase has the potential still there and is developing into the coach you want him to be. Yeah, I mean, if he's a younger guy, too, it's kind of – where you're going to be not not only where there's more of a patience from ownership in general, but you're going to be more patient with the coach. That's, I guess, would you say he's still learning on the job in a way? Yeah, I think he is. I think he is uh, definitely in terms of how to manage everything. Mm -hmm. He, he, he understands game day. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The Broncos with you guys and then down in Miami, uh, he knows game day. He needs to learn how to manage his time between all the different pieces and realizing that his focus cannot be purely on that game plan and on calling those plays. He does need to be stepping back and taking the wider look and letting those guys that he's hired under him run their sections and then just get reports back from them. Yeah. On that note, let's talk free agency. And as I mentioned, um, it's not necessarily Chicago South. And I just say that jokingly because Cutler last year and then now Josh Sitton comes in. Um, but it was an active 2018 free agency period for Miami. You, we, we mentioned Albert Wilson. There's Sitton. There's Amendola. There's the older Frank Gore. Um, there's even Brock Osweiler, uh, which is Kind of funny to me actually looking at right now on, on Spot Track. Um, 
what are your expectations for the Dolphins free agency class, and who do you think makes the most immediate impact, especially in 2018, Kevin? Uh, sitting probably because the guards were so bad last year, and it just it, – that, that's been the weakest thing. The Dolphins have for a long time gone with the attitude that you don't need guards, you need tackles that can play guard. And I think this year they finally went, okay, we we need guards. So you see Josh Sitton coming in. Um, Jesse Davis, who played basically all along the offensive line last year and has gone from an undrafted rookie, now will be the starting right guard, and he actually looks really, really good. But I think Josh Sitton will probably be – he probably will be the top uh, free agent addition at the end of the day. That said – you have guys like Danny Amendola and uh, Albert Wilson who are playing the uh, skill positions that will probably get more notoriety. But I think that a guy like Josh Sitton, and it's funny because it does have the Bears tie, but I do honestly believe he's probably the guy that comes in there and solidifies that team the best. Uh, he'll be playing next to Laramie Tunsil, who will get his second year at left tackle now. And then uh, Daniel Kilgore, for whom the Dolphins traded this year will be at center. So there's some experience in the middle of the line. Laramie Tunsil should be growing into it. So, yeah, I think that that's probably where you see it. And just to throw this out there, you aren't that far off on it being Chicago South because Dow Logans is the (laughs) offensive coordinator now. Um, Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) <laughs> Eric Stutzville, Stut- I don't know how to say his name, but uh, the he's running backs coach, and he mm-hmm. was he was with the Bears back in the late '90s, wasn't he? He was with the Bears in the late '90s and early 2000s when they like yeah, so a blip, yeah. So there's definitely a, a definitely an ability, and I bet you if I go through their coaching staff and roster, I can find more too. Because yeah. yeah, there's a there's definitely a Chicago Chicago and Denver flavor to the dolphins huh i wonder where adam gase previously coached yeah no idea couldn't couldn't tell you uh. <laughs> um with wilson's and amandola's additions I, I, I this was kind of interesting to me to think about who is the dolphins number one receiver because there's still Devonte parker there kevin who's the dolphins number one i think that at the end of the day adam gase definitely wants to spread the ball around more Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to see Kenny Stills probably Ooh, be okay. the number one guy. Um, I think they want Devontae Parker to be that number one guy. I just – he – his problem is not a talent issue. It's not an attitude issue. It's a – if he strains a hamstring and it's at 90%, he doesn't play up to his potential. He does not know yet how to be that professional and play through pain. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the Dolphins are focused very heavily on let's get him healthy, let's teach him how to do this, let's get him through this problem. So I, I think that, and I would not be surprised if um, rookie tight ends have typically not been great producers in their first year, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or so the Dolphins' biggest receiving threat is actually Mike Jacecki, who they drafted in the second round this year because he's that big bodied tight end that they have been missing forever. Yeah. Someone you kind of build around in the same way that the Patriots have done with Frankowski or the chiefs with Kelsey. Um, yeah. Not in the way of a, n- a number one slot guy on the outside, but someone in the middle. Okay. I can understand that. Um, that's a nice lead in towards the draft. So I have the draft, the offensive draft history. Um, I think in terms of overall depth and talent at the top, this was one of the more one of the better draft classes. Like I, I think across the entire league, across all thirty-two teams. Um, what's the feeling with the addition of Minka Fitzpatrick with Jacecki that we just discussed? Uh, Durham, Durham Smith. That's another guy you can talk about with double tight end sets. And you even touched on Kalen Balazs, who was one of my favorite running backs in the draft. So what's what's the feeling here with the impact of this class? Is this um, the core of the Dolphins being fi- being finished? Yeah, I think it really is because, like I said, they're trying to get younger 
while having some veterans at the top that can uh, Danny Amendola can pass along, hey, this is what we did with the Patriots, and that has some weight to it. So there's there's pieces there, but uh, yeah, I think that Minka Fitzpatrick definitely comes in. Um, they've been playing him at strong safety, free safety, and nickel cornerback so far in OTAs and minicamp. Um, I think he ends up settling in primarily as a free safety, which is what the Dolphins need. And then he's a tight end coverage. And if you go to a big nickel, you can put Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald back there at safety and slide Minka over to a cornerback type position. And so, yeah, there's a lot of options with him. Giuseppe and Smythe, I think, will be two great additions. Giuseppe obviously is more of a pass catcher, Smythe more of a blocker. But I think that they both – I think you see the Dolphins try to get Giuseppe blocking more and they get Smythe catching more. So I think that you do see the two tight end set that Adam Gase really, really wants. Uh, Jerome Baker, the third-round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably, he probably needs a year to develop, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is pushing for playing time this year. He is more of a coverage linebacker, which the Dolphins have struggled forever on covering tight ends. And when you have Rob Gronkowski in your division, that's a really bad position to struggle covering. So mm-hmm. I think that's where you see him. And then, uh, Kalen comes in right now, probably the third running back on the depth chart, but he he's the guy that develops behind Frank Gore eventually replaces Frank Gore. And Adam Gase has talked about every year that he likes, he doesn't like a workhorse running back. He likes a platoon of running backs that you're always keeping guys fresh and rotating them in. So I think that's where he fits. Uh, Sixth round was Cornell Armstrong. And then seventh round was Quentin Poling. Both of those guys may be practice squad guys this year. They could, if they do special team stuff, they could be, late roster guys, but that's probably where they are. And then the final pick was Jason Sanders, uh, kicker. Uh, the Dolphins also signed an undrafted free agent kicker. So there is a competition there. One of those two obviously will make the roster and will have an impact because they're the only kicker on the roster. But yeah, so that's, that's the draft. I really think that they did really well with those first five picks, all of whom should have playing time and see an impact this year. And then, like I said, the two practice squad guys and a kicker. That's one instance where the Bears actually rated the Dolphins with Cody Parkey. I think I actually talked yes. about that too. Um, just a solid kicker, nothing really so special. Um, I'm looking at the history, and I kind of wanted to touch on these two. The Dolphins' current starting tackles. So with one, it's Laramie Tunsil, 2016 first-round pick, uh, fell because of an unfortunate uh, so, <laughs> unfortunate is, is, is a nice way of putting it. Um, that arose literally minutes before the draft. Um, I think I'm, it was fortunate. Oh, I mean, fortunate! Oh, fortunate. Yeah, fortunate. It seemed fortunate for us. Oh, very fortunate for <laughs> Miami. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and then, and then Jawan James, who I remember seeing speculation that the Dolphins wouldn't pick up his fifth-year option, 2014 first rounder, but he ended up actually coming back. This is a guy who's had a lot of injury issues. Uh, so let's start with Tunsil. Uh, he's, I, I think it's fair to say he hasn't put it all together um, yet. I mean, this is, this is a guy that was seen as like a book, a, a solid franchise bookend. Again, like someone that you, the Dolphins were very fortunate to get, um, but he hasn't played up to that, that, that potential yet. Why not Kevin? And, and, and is this kind of the year where um, he starts to play like, um, the all pro he was touted he was touted originally having been. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't feel like he had the I, he was he was floated up there as a potential first overall pick type talent. Mm-hmm. But having been a team that selected Jake Long with that first overall pick, that's a guy that is a no kidding first overall pick left tackle. Yeah. I loved the Jake Long pick. I know Dolphins fans to this day still argue that they should have taken Matt Ryan, even though he wasn't really in the discussion. It was Jake Long or Chris Long. But that's revisionist history 2020 hindsight. Yeah. Um, Laramie Tunsil is a guy that definitely can be a Pro Bowl left tackle for 15 years. He's 
he is really, really athletic. He can move. He can do all these type of things. I think that when the Dolphins played him at guard his first year, he spent so much time focusing on, I need to learn my footwork and I need to learn my techniques as a guard with uh, Brandon Albert at left tackle. So when they moved him back to left tackle this year or this past year, I, I won't say he was lazy, but I think he expected all that natural stuff that he had done in college to just come back to him. And the speed of the game is a little different uh, from guard to tackle. I mean, obviously from college to pro it's big, but the speed is different. The suddenly you're facing that defensive end that you're out there on an Island. And I don't think that he was quite ready mentally for that change back to left tackle. Um, I think he could, or he should grow into it this year. He worked on it all off season, getting that footwork back, getting that technique back. So I think you'll see him improve. Will he be a pro bowler this year or ever? I don't know. I think he has the talent. I think he should be there, but I think that he needs to definitely put in the work that, like I said, I'm not saying he's lazy. I just don't think he expected to need to put in that much amount of work to go back to what he felt was his natural position. That's interesting that you don't, I remember really, really clamoring him for the, for the bears and the bears ended up taking Leonard Floyd, who I've, uh, who have really clings to, um, that's interesting that you don't put him in the same class as long, and then there's that work ethic that's arising. I, th- I think it's, it's, that makes the draft such a crapshoot because could you imagine if someone had taken, I think, who had the 2016 first-round pick, or rather the first overall pick? Like, Could you imagine if the uh, – looking up right now, it's awkward. <laughs> um, I'll say Browns just because it seems like a right guess. <laughs> Uh, almost, maybe no. The Rams, the Rams. Because like, could you imagine if the Rams had taken Tunsil and then passed on Goff, and then the Eagles take Goff or someone else, and then Wentz falls? That's that's, and, and the Rams regret that regret that selection because he's not nowhere near a first overall talent. I, that's just interesting to me how that all shook out. Um, yeah, I think I, I think in hindsight thing. And it and it could also be that move to left guard. So if he had gone in day one and been a left tackle from the beginning, right? Maybe none of this is ever a discussion because he's facing that defensive end from day one and going, okay, I need to step up my game. But yeah, I just think that he he expected this is my natural position. I know this, and he got out there and went, oh, this is a little bit different. And so I think he struggled where he didn't expect to struggle. Moving over to James. So I don't think you can, I think he's a good tackle. I think uh, just watching him and, and, and reading some of the sentiments about him when he's actually on the field, he's a good player, but that's his problem. He's, he's on and off as in terms of when his body doesn't portray him. Um, and it's part of the reason that there was ever a discussion about his fifth year option. Um, what's your confidence level in James, Kevin? And, and um, is this someone that the Dolphins can count on for the future? Is it, what are they doing to maybe finally move past uh, what's plagued him during his first few years of his career? Yeah, yeah. He, that, 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 that's, that's probably the bigger issue with him is trying to – I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to even say it. It's trying to find stability, I guess, for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he played 16 games as a rookie, and then he missed half the season, second season. He played 16 games his third season. He missed half the season, his fourth season. So if that pattern holds, we should see him for 16 games this year. Um, oh, that's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's – and, and – I think that the discussion of whether to hold his fifth-year option or not simply came down to exactly what you said. He's a solid right tackle. Yeah. But he's not great. He's not special. He's not – he, he's a difficult one to read because he can go out there and he can dominate a game. Yeah. And 
he practices against Cameron Wake, who's the left defensive end for the Dolphins. So he's used to playing against top-tier talent. He could absolutely become something, but at the same time, it just always seems like he's right there on that. He's a starter. He's an NFL uh, NFL caliber starter. But if you get a chance to improve, you would. And I think that's what the Dolphins did this year. They went, do we have a shot at improving that position? And they looked around at the free agency and they looked at the draft and they just went, no? Okay, so we'll bring him back. And that's, I think, why that talk of they may not hold, they may not keep that option. That's not, I mean, that's sound logic. That's yeah, sound he's team, just, unless you have to. I, he's still young. He's still developing. He's still growing. And solidifying a right guard next to him in Jesse Davis, that could be the, the answer. And maybe he turns into something a little bit better. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if the Dolphins let him go in free agency next year and then decided to move Jesse Davis out to right tackle. Mm-hmm. So there, there's options there. I just, yeah, he's a weird one to try to read and evaluate on exactly what the Dolphins are thinking or what his future could be. Let's move to the grand finale here, Kevin. So Dolphins and Bears meet in week five of this season. Um, we'll just some we'll just summarize this in two points. So what is one area that the Dolph that the Bears should be worried about with the Dolphins? That the, that this specific Bears roster and new coaching staff with Matt Nagy should be worried about with the Dolphins? In your mind. Um Perhaps that's also an aspect that nobody has thought of. Any, any angle you want to take, obviously. I think that there is a lot of concern and discussion about the cornerback position in Miami. Mm-hmm. I think that it's better than people think. I think that it's better than people want to give it credit for. Xavier Howard as the starting cornerback on one side is a guy that has the talent and potential and we saw it for a good chunk of last year to be a shutdown cornerback um i think there was a stat from pff that it was week 12 through 14 or 15 that he didn't allow a reception or he allowed one reception or something like that so he is a guy that can no kidding be a shutdown type of cornerback um he's still young he still makes some young player mistakes uh, so he should develop into his third year now being something that's, uh, really talented. Uh, Cordea Tankersley was a rookie last year. He did get some playing time. Um, as the year went on, he eventually replaced, uh, Byron Maxwell. And he's a guy that there's some concern about because he made rookie mistakes. Is he going to turn into a, better cornerback this year. They get Tony Lippett back who tore his Achilles tendon. So you're obviously you're a little bit worried about a cornerback that has torn an Achilles tendon. Uh, but he um, it's funny because one player that the Dolphins used to have that we were kind of okay with leaving was Frank Grimes, mm-hmm. pro bowl cornerback who had torn Achilles tendon issues. So that's where Tony Lippett turned to get advice on, hey, what do I do here? And right. so that's a good place to go. That's a good guy to talk to to get, hey, how do I come back from this? Uh, they just re-signed Bobby McCain to a four-year contract extension. He is a really, really solid nickel cornerback. So I think there is definitely a group there that can be a really special unit that nobody knows could be that yet. Um I don't know for sure that they'll turn into that, but I just I feel they are better than people think. Enough to shut down a healthy Allen Robinson? <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm just um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is one area that the Bears could attack the Dolphins that you're worried about? That the Bears perhaps have a great advantage in. Um, maybe might be the deciding factor of the game, for example? Uh, Probably run-stopping for Miami. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Dolphins went 
last year or the last couple of years, they've gone wide nine as their basic defensive front. Sliding, yeah. those, sliding those defensive ends way out wide. What that does is immediately put stress onto your linebackers. Your linebackers have to be guys that are plugging those holes or else you're creating your own running lanes against you. And last year, the Dolphins didn't have those run, those linebackers. Um, theoretically, they have them this year. Kiko Alonso was one of those linebackers last year. Uh, he, It felt like that he was always trying to think, then react, not just read and react. That he wanted to make sure, am I supposed to be covering? Am I supposed to be plugging this hole? And it made him a step slow. Um, and that comes, part of that was in 2016, he was the middle linebacker for the Dolphins. He wasn't an outside linebacker. So I think that he should be a little bit better. The Dolphins coaching staff have stressed to him and to in the media that his issue is use those instincts and attack. Be aggressive. We will cover up an aggressive mistake. But if you're slow, we're not going to be able to get there to cover. Uh, Raekwon McMillan should come back at the middle linebacker position. He should be solid against the run. And theoretically, Jerome Baker or Stephon Anthony is the third linebacker. I couldn't tell you how the Dolphins will do against the run this year because if they stick with the nine, it's it's all should be, could be, might be at this point with the linebacker core. So that, that that's probably where I would say, at least right now, that until we see them on the field, the weakness for the Dolphins is probably against the run. I'm the guy that does that does this, um, Kevin. What's your pick? Let's pick this game in June. In in, in the first week of June, let's pick <laughs> Dolphins. Who who wins the who who wins in your mind? This is I your go pick. Dolphins. You go Dolphins. Okay, well that's 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 that was easy to foresee. I, I should have. I, that coming. I, I will I will go Dolphins because it's in Miami. If it was in Chicago, I'd probably lean the other way. But the fact that it's in Miami and it's a one o'clock game in early October or mid-October, um the that sun is gonna be beating down on that nice dark blue jersey you guys wear. And uh yeah, I'll I'll go with the Dolphins with the heat advantage. I don't think the I don't think the Actually, no wait. The Bears only have only won once in Miami, in like the, in the twenty first century. So that's actually pretty accurate. So I wouldn't want to play with. I wouldn't want to play it if I didn't have to either. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's the stadium since the canopy went up after you guys had the rain soaked Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, the uh, the canopy, the way they designed the canopy, is the stadium or uh, the the field. Is open air, straight up open air. But that one o'clock sun is coming over the stadium to the point that basically midway from the field back to the Dolphin sideline is completely in shade. Then down the end zones are fairly well in the shade. The opposing sideline and the first 15 rows behind the opposing sideline are just beating in the sun. It just beats on that sideline. Now that I say all that, watch it be cloudy and rainy or something. <laughs> you know, I, I, I understand doing that for – that's a pretty good home field advantage built in. I understand yeah. doing that for the, the, the other team. But what about the fans that are sitting there? What about, like, <laughs> what about the people that don't want to sit in like 100 degrees and the sun yeah. beats down on them? Come yeah, on. They should, they should pick – they should pick uh, seats on the other side of the stadium. <laughs> I, I guess that makes. I guess that makes. Sense. Um, it's 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 really well done the way they do it. And then obviously Miami always wears white at home. Yeah. During day games for that specific reason. Kevin, I like to finish with a one non-football question slash discussion okay. for each uh, podcast. Um, since it's the summer, and since uh, organized team activities and mini camps are wrapping up for everyone in the league this week, um, what is your favorite summer movie of all time? What is the greatest summer movie of all time? Ooh, depends on how you, wow. how you how you go with that. Yeah, good summer movies. Um, 
I think I think lately I've been way too into the Marvel DC mm-hmm. obviously more Marvel um, kick right so probably one of those but that's a really good question um, I'm trying to think I go to movies all the time but now I'm trying to think what <laughs> came out in the summer um, um, let me look at. Let me try to look at the list as well as you. Um, I mean, I guess we're counting summer, like May. We can count summer as May. Like that's what Hollywood. The Hollywood starts counting summer as May. Yeah. Look at, um, so Iron Man came out in May. Uh, the Incredible Hulk came out in May. Actually, all three Iron Man came out in May. The first Captain America came out in July. Or all of the actually all of the Marvel movies came out during the pretty summer. Pretty much do summer until. Um, we started getting a February-ish movie every now and then. Yeah, Thor, November second, um, but most of these are su- most of them are summer. Like literally, Thor: The Dark World is a, is a November. So is Doctor Strange, and then Black Panther is also a February. Oh, and, the Rag- and Thor: Ragnarok is also November. Everything else, um, early May, last week of April, or July slash August. Literally, everything. maybe maybe the right answer is Independence Day. Ah, I, I, oh my god! If you if you weren't gonna say anything, if you were gonna if you like, I was totally that. That's literally. I'm not even kidding. I was going. That's. I was gonna say like, no love for Independence Day, Kevin. Thank that, you. That's probably the right answer. I mean, um, now it's older than me. Yeah. Yeah, it's older than I am, but Jaws would be a summer movie too. Jo- but it depends. So Jaws would be like, if you if you say with Jaws, that's like for like the vacation goer. So everyone right, everyone goes to the beach. So that's yeah. like be a fear. You have a, you have a fear of sharks in the ocean. Um, no, Independence Day is probably the right answer. Yeah, it's gonna be Independence Day. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> that's like Will Smith's like first big movie after I think yeah. breakout movie after Fresh Prince. Um, and it's just. Oh. Um, like none of it really makes coherent sense, and it's it's just cheating <laughs> all hell. But it's still awesome, and 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 the, and the president's speech before they start the final yep. battle, like it's it's perfect. It's perfect for just like just turning your brain off and watching humanity like win a fight against win a fight against aliens. Like it's just, it's just perfect. I just looked up another one just to see what date it came out. It came out May sixteenth, nineteen eighty six. Which, Top Gun. What was it? Oh, Top, Top Gun. Gun. Top Gun. Yeah. Top Gun would be a good summer movie too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's another cheesy one. That's another one with a lot yep. of the montages that that you don't really see nowadays, but you just you love going back on it. That's another one. Okay. Now they're filming the second one. Are they? Yeah, they just started. Uh, Tom Cruise two or three weeks ago tweeted out that it was day one on the set of. Top Gun Maverick is what it's going to be called. Do we do we know what like the premise is? Like, what, like are, are they um, other pilots here? What, what what's going on? All all I've heard is that Maverick is still active duty, which means <laughs> that he's been all these years later. Ever. Yeah, um, and that in 1986, the Navy hadn't been at war for 15 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now they've been at war for 15 years, and it's a different Navy, and Maverick has to deal with that. So we'll see. But, yeah, I think um, – I know that they had said Val Kilmer was interested in being Iceman again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he will or not. And uh, I'm blanking on her name, but Charlie, the, the love interest in it, she supposedly is – Back as well. possibly back around. I don't know. Now they're just playing on all the nostalgia. Come on, that's like. Yep. Well, so we, if, if if Independence Day two had a sequel, though, so that makes sense. But I'm still gonna watch the crap out of it if we're being honest. But, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but I mean, look at look at TV this fall. What is a uh, is it CBS? I think is bringing back Magnum PI and Murphy Brown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get it. I mean, we we've just run out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I'm gonna we're gonna watch it, but I, but I'm I'm just gonna complain to complain because that's the thing to do. That's the thing to do. Yes, absolutely. About, about meaningless entertainment. That's the thing to do. <laughs> that's that's why Twitter exists. Um, th- th- that's the cool <laughs> point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kevin, I want to thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Know you're you know you're a busy man. Uh, had a lot of fun and enjoyed your Dolphins uh, insight here. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. We'll have to talk again before the game. Definitely. I'll definitely reach out to you before then. Uh, you can follow Kevin on Twitter at the P-H-I-N Cider, the Finn Ciders, half of Dolphin. Um, he, ma- he manages SB Nation's Dolphin's website um, and does a lot of great work there. And as usual, you can follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron and follow me on Twitter at Robert Siglinski. As always, summer is fi- is finally kicking off, everybody. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, make awesome. It's maybe the night that my dreams might let me know. All the stars are closer. All the stars are closer. Tell me what you're going to do to me. Confrontation ain't nothing new to me. You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue, but you can't bring the truth to me. Alexa, play Kendrick Lamar and SZA. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, Maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.